This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Good morning. I'm Jane Pauley, and this is Sunday Morning. We're a full six months into the COVID pandemic and less than two months from the presidential election. So is the mix of virus and politics potentially hazardous to your health? A question for Martha Teichner to consider in our Sunday morning cover story. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship. Well, that didn't happen. Politics and COVID-19 have become comorbidities. Is the politicization of coronavirus worse than the politicization of other diseases? I've never seen anything like this before. Coming up this Sunday morning, red and blue gone viral. Going country proved a bit of a challenge for singer Keith Urban during a quarantine. With Tracy Smith this morning, we take note. When the pandemic shut his world down, Keith Urban had a tough time getting used to life as a traveling musician with no place to go. 
How did you react in the initial days and weeks? I just put my sweatpants on, sit on the couch, watch TV with the family and wait till the whole thing blows over. I then got a whispered your name. But then something happened that got him off the couch. Keith Urban, later on Sunday morning. Lee Cowan will be in conversation with actress Drew Barrymore. The talk of Hollywood at a very young age. Now she's launching her very own talk show. Given all the bad news in the world lately, we could certainly use a little happy TV. Welcome to our set, Lee. And starting tomorrow, you'll have one more option. You have to have this cohesive tone. And your tone here will be what? Optimism TV. If we had Jiggle TV, we can have Optimism TV. (laughs) (laughs) Drew Barrymore talks about talk ahead on Sunday morning. Rita Braver looks ahead to the unveiling of the Eisenhower Memorial in Washington. From Serena Altschul, is light pollution endangering our starry nights? Plus Steve Hartman, some thoughts from Jim Gaffigan, and more. On this Sunday morning, the 13th of September, 2020. We'll be back in a moment. How's this for something that could be hazardous to your health? The combination of one highly contagious virus and one very contentious political campaign. Our cover story is reported by Martha Teichner. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. The date of Bob Woodward's bombshell recording, February 7th, is important. This is deadly stuff. President Trump knew then the threat of COVID-19 and had no qualms about downplaying it. We don't want to have to show panic. We're not going to show panic. And that's exactly what I did. But panic tanked the markets. Check this out. We are off 900 points. February 25th. The Dow really taking it on the chin. A disaster of a down day. We are on pace for the fourth worst points decline for the Dow in history. Capped by CDC Dr. Nancy Messonnier's coronavirus warning. We are asking the American public to work with us to prepare in the expectation that this could be bad. I'm going to be putting our vice president, Mike Pence, in charge. No fan of bad news. The following day, President Trump announced his own coronavirus task force. And control of the COVID message shifted from the CDC in Atlanta to the White House. When you have 15 people, and the 15 within a couple of days is going to be down to close to zero, uh, that's a pretty good job we've done. Was that when it happened? USA! USA! Was that when politics when partisanship. We don't want your shutdown anymore. Became the lens through which Americans began viewing the pandemic. It's a little shocking to see so many people not wearing protective masks, not staying six feet apart. We thought that the more worried people were about COVID, the more likely they were to be following all the kind of public health best practices. Um, And that's not what we found. 
Shana Gadarian is an associate professor of political science at Syracuse University. What we found was that the biggest divider um, in people's behaviors was not their age, not their demographics, um, not their education. It was their partisanship. Gadarian and two colleagues have been surveying Americans' attitudes toward COVID-19 since March. Look at mask wearing, even hand washing. Democrats and Republicans diverging as much as 20 percent. As states opened up, the gap widened. Messages from health leaders like the CDC were rapidly changing over time, and that's very hard for people to keep up with. So they have to turn toward those kinds of experts that they believe and that they trust. And in this case, the kind of message from the White House was dominating. If politics is about winners and losers, during the COVID crisis, the CDC has lost big time. There was a problem with the test kits, but they think they've fixed the problem. Starting with the slow, botched rollout of its test kits. And then it's about face on whether we needed to wear masks. I ran emergency response at CDC for, for four years. There was never a response I was involved in where we didn't make mistakes. Dr. Richard Besser spent 13 years at the CDC and was acting director in 2009 during the swine flu epidemic. It's hard to predict that if, if this goes away, whether it will come back uh, more severe he now heads the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. What was different in this situation was that CDC wasn't out there every day being able to explain. The CDC's director, currently Dr. Robert Redfield, is one of its only political appointees. I really do think it's important to clarify this as we... By mid-March, Redfield had all but disappeared from the president's daily coronavirus task force briefings. Since then... CDC guidelines on reopening the country. Open our country. Open us up. We need to work. Varied. On schools. We have social distancing as best that we can. On testing. Watered down. When you see the fingerprints of politics in the public health recommendations, that's a real problem. And it, it, it's a problem because... It makes it hard to then discern what's being, what's being done for political reasons and what's being done for, for public health reasons. In this unprecedented Washington Post op-ed, Dr. Besser, along with three other former directors of the CDC, charged that the undermining of the agency is actually killing Americans. I mean, it's just amazing um, how we as a nation have lost our way and have begun politicizing things that, you know, in the past, there was consensus on. And we're seeing more and more of that. Dr. Georges Benjamin heads the American Public Health Association, which rallied 347 of the nation's most prestigious health organizations in support of the CDC. Politics plays a role in lots of things, but if people think that is your primary purpose, then... They're always suspect. And it gives people who don't want to participate the wiggle room not to do it. This is a sign of control. To openly defy restrictions they don't like. We believe this is an infringement on our constitutional rights. Even to attribute political motives to public institutions. 
trust that the CDC is providing reliable information about the coronavirus has dropped dramatically, regardless of party affiliation, since April. Roughly four in ten Americans think that during the Trump administration, the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration are paying too much attention to politics. The president last month stoked that sentiment, accusing the FDA of slow-walking the testing of COVID vaccines and treatments to harm him politically. You have a lot of people over there that don't want to rush things because they want to, they want to do it after November 3rd. He was pushing convalescent plasma as a COVID treatment. And guess what happened? I'm pleased to make a truly historic announcement in our battle against... Just before the start of the Republican National Convention, the FDA granted emergency authorization for its use. So some people say the optics either look like politics or pressure. What do you say about that? FDA Commissioner Dr. Stephen Hahn defended the decision. The professionals and the scientists at FDA independently made this decision, and I completely support them. So is the FDA the new CDC, its integrity and independence in question? The head of the FDA confirmed with us tonight the FDA would consider emergency approval for a COVID vaccine before clinical trials are completed. Remember, the FDA has to approve any coronavirus vaccine for use in the United States. So we're going to have a vaccine very soon, maybe even before a very special date. You know what date I'm talking about. In spite of assurances to the contrary, current polling shows that Americans, overwhelmingly Democrats and Republicans, worry that the vaccine approval process is being driven more by politics than science. Would you get it? Well, I think that's going to be an issue for all of us. Um, I will say that I would not trust Donald Trump. And you knew this was coming. The prospect of a pre-election vaccine heated up the presidential race. They're trying to disparage it. They're trying to make it politics. They're trying to do so. And now what's going to happen is we'll have it and people won't want to take it. That's really bad, okay? That's really bad. He's undermining public confidence. But pray God we have it. If I could get a vaccine tomorrow, I'd do it. If it cost me the election, I'd do it. We need a vaccine. We need it now. As quick as we can get it. But we have to listen to the scientists. With every aspect of coronavirus politicized already, it should surprise no one. A vaccine that could end the pandemic has been weaponized. After years of planning and no shortage of debate, the Dwight D. Eisenhower Memorial is scheduled to open in Washington. Rita Braver has a preview. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together to victory. I have full confidence in your courage, devotion to duty, and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Just a stone's throw from the U.S. Capitol, a park nestles among museums and office buildings. Twenty years in the making, it's a new memorial dedicated to a president who is garnering new esteem, Dwight D. Eisenhower. 
So your first time here. <laughs> it's my first time. I'm quite overwhelmed by it. We visited the memorial with Susan Eisenhower, the president's granddaughter. I'm really thrilled. A foreign really policy thrilled. analyst who has spent years studying her grandfather's career. Granddad used to say, um, don't let them put me on a horse. <laughs> so he's not on a horse. <laughs> he's leading men, which I think is far more appropriate. Indeed, as president, Ike, as he was known, is flanked by both military and civilian aides. General Dwight D. Eisenhower and his deputy commanders chart the liberation of a lost continent. And as commander of Allied forces in Europe in World War II, he's portrayed in a scene based on real life. The commander visited the airborne troops who would lead the invasion. Visiting troops just before the launch of the D-Day invasion on June 6, 1944. Soldiers, sailors, and airmen of the Allied Expeditionary Force, you are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. Susan Eisenhower's new book focuses on her grandfather's strength of character, for example, This is the supreme moment of invasion. This is frontal assault. Though he was confident the D-Day mission would succeed, He wrote a note to himself that said, In case this operation fails, the responsibility is mine and mine alone. They hit the beach, as I recall, about 725. Eisenhower himself and, uh, explained we that note as he returned to Normandy with CBS newsman Walter Cronkite in 1964. I was the one responsible for the decision to go, and uh, all the fault belongs to me, and that's that. And I was knocked off my pins because the way he managed the war. Renowned architect Frank Gehry says he'd never really studied Eisenhower until he was invited to compete for the chance to design the new memorial. But then... I had to do it. I wanted to do it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Gehry's original winning design based on guidance from a commission appointed by Congress, bears little resemblance to the memorial now built. At its center was a statue of Ike as a boy in Kansas, looking out on a series of metal scrims, or tapestries as Gary calls them, featuring key events in his life. I think we were perplexed by the design because... The family was the not pleased. The idea that a young boy would be looking at his future and wishing, what, to become commander of the most devastating war in human history, I don't think he was dreaming to do that. How did you respond to that? Well, I had to agree with them because, you know, they lived with it. They knew better than me. Finally, after years of wrangling between the commission and the family, it took former Secretary of State James Baker to broker a deal. Now there's just one large metal tapestry representing Pointe du Oak, the 100-foot cliff on the coast of Normandy scaled by Army Rangers under German fire on D-Day. But the funny thing is, how do you make a tapestry of Pontoac? It's just a big chunk of land in it. Anyway, I did the drawing. <laughs> and the family liked it. That There we are. Another person who likes the new design is Washington Post art critic Philip Kennicott, who saw it first at night. And the lights were just coming up on the tapestry, this big, long 
metal woven welded kind of abstract rendering of, of the beaches of Normandy and it was gorgeous. Kennicott also likes the statue of Ike as a boy now set off to the side. It is going to be a surprise to people to see a rendering of a heroic figure as a child. That's just not something you see. It isn't. It's Lincoln on his throne in the Lincoln Memorial, or it's just this massive obelisk um, that represents Washington. Do you think Eisenhower is deserving of a memorial as these things go? I think his legacy was enormously consequential. His stock has risen very much in the last decades. The civil rights elements, the, the role he played in integrating important institutions in American life. Today, there is special resonance to Eisenhower's ordering federal troops to Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957. He sent them to protect nine black students entering Central High School as jeering crowds tried to block their way. Mob rule can not be allowed to override the decisions of our courts. Many historians now rank Eisenhower in the top tier of American presidents. Still, Philip Kennicott reminds us, views can change. With time, I think we're realizing that idea of an absolutely great man is just not there anymore. We're reevaluating George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, two of the pillars of the American Revolution, because they were slave owners. We're reevaluating Lincoln, too. Politicians are never saintly. Supreme Commander, General Eisenhower. But Susan Eisenhower has no doubt that her grandfather's legacy, both as general and as president, should be honored. He had such an extraordinary career. It went on for 50 years. He is a man, I think, whose values and principles can be an inspiration for rising generations. And that's what memorials are for, after all. Say goodbye to performance-robbing engine deposits with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Hate to break it to you, but lower-grade fuel can leave deposits in your engine that build up over time and leave your engine's performance severely lacking. Thankfully, Shell V-Power Nitro Plus removes up to 100% of performance-robbing deposits with continuous use in gasoline direct injection engine fuel injectors. Download the Shell app today to find your nearest Shell station and rejuvenate your engine with Shell V-Power Nitro Plus Premium Gasoline. Fuel up at Shell. As you may have noticed, we have a thing for the sun here at Sunday morning. But what's happening to America's skies once the sun goes down? has the stargazers Serena Altschul's talking to. Very gloomy, indeed. To hear Tim Frazier tell it, the biggest show of the summer might have been the Perseid meteor shower that lights the night sky from July to August. When, at night, looking up uh, from a clear place like this, uh, you can see up to 120 meteors an hour. Though the retired photography professor's work sits in the collections of New York's Museum of Modern Art and the Art Institute of Chicago, his passion has always been astronomy. Well, it's the oldest science. 
because the only thing that had to happen was people look up and go, I wonder. At this point in your life, if you had to choose one of these loves, astronomy or photography and your love for art, which way would you go? Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> That's really They're hard. They're intertwined. They are. And, and the thing is, I, I think through um, appreciation of art and aesthetics, it makes me thoroughly enjoy what I see through the telescope more because you're seeing a real world that is so unbelievably complex and beautiful. We're in something of a golden age of astrophotography, cheaper technology from high-powered telescopes to computer programs to process terabytes of data have made it easier for amateurs to capture out-of-this-world images. Every night you're out, you, you know, you run the chance of discovering a new planet, potentially, discovering a new comet, a new asteroid, things like that. Uh, there's been even some amateurs when they're uh, doing videos of Jupiter and Saturn will catch uh, collisions of asteroids into those planets. Boise, Idaho, astrophotographer Jordan Ragsdale lets his telescope and camera run for hours, often over multiple nights, while filtering out light pollution all to create a single usable shot. All the professional observatories, they don't have cameras on, you know, every planet, every speck of the sky at all times of the day. So there's a lot of uh, discovery potential nowadays uh, with all the new technologies that amateurs have access to to find planets on other stars from their backyard, which is pretty amazing. <laughs> Still, for casual stargazers in many parts of the country, the heavens have never been further away. You know, 80% of Americans can't see the Milky Way from where they live. And I know when I was growing up, I just walked in my backyard and there it was. And I've been back, I grew up in Nashville, and when I went back recently, there's no way you can see that now. I mean, the light pollution's unbelievable. Central Idaho, where Fraser lives now, is rich with abundant natural resources, from the Salmon River to the Sawtooth Mountains. But its greatest resource might be its night skies, some of the darkest in the country. We have very clear air and relatively stable air. And that makes the viewing just particularly wonderful because the stars can be so sharp and clear. To protect those skies, the towns of Ketchum, Sun Valley, Stanley, and others regulate outdoor lighting as part of the Central Idaho Dark Sky Reserve, one of only 16 such territories around the world. Ignition, liftoff. But there's a growing threat to our dark skies, satellites. Already there are over 2,000 orbiting the Earth. And billionaire Elon Musk's company, SpaceX, wants to launch some 30,000 more as part of Starlink, the company's ambitious plan to offer Internet to the world. This summer, thousands signed a petition saying Starlink satellites could pose an existential threat to astronomy itself. Being able to spot objects orbiting near the Earth is of vital importance to scientists because when a meteorite hits the Earth, it can have real-world consequences. In 2013, a meteor the size of a six-story house 
exploded over the eastern Russian town of Chelyabinsk, sending hundreds to the hospital. They've shaped the course of life on our planet. We have very good evidence, of course, now that 65 million years ago there was a huge impact by a large meteorite, probably six miles across, which basically led to the extinction of something like 70% of all species on Earth, including the dinosaurs. And that's what made it possible for, you know, for mammals to flourish and for us humans to be here, ultimately. Professor Minakashi Wadwa is director of the School of Earth and Space Exploration at Arizona State University. Everything that we know and understand about how our planet formed, how the solar system formed, how life might have originated on our planet, all that comes from these rocks. So maybe preserving our ability to see the night sky isn't just about stargazing or shooting stars or even astronomy, but something deeper and more fundamental, something to consider the next time you find yourself looking up and see no stars at all. It's very disruptive, and it's disruptive for animals like us. We need the dark. We do need the dark. Just like we need the light. Exactly. A home renovation job like no other is the story Steve Hartman has to tell. Any electrician can flip a switch. But only John Kinney of Woburn, Massachusetts can make a customer light up like this. Please don't pinch me because I don't want to wake up. Yeah. (laughs) That's one fine electrician. (laughs) Oh, a thousand times over. Last month, 72-year-old Gloria Scott called John to fix a ceiling light. But he soon discovered that broken light was the least of her problems. Too poor to make any house repairs and too prideful to ask for help. Gloria's house was in total disrepair. No lights, no running water. Yeah, I think I seen on a Friday, and it stuck with me over the weekend. I said, I got to go back there, you know. So John returned and started working for free. He also started a Facebook page titled, Nice Old Lady Needs Help, where he called on other tradespeople to join him. On the Facebook page, you said, it's not like we're trying to rebuild her whole house. <laughs> yeah, well, now it looks like we are. <laughs> it sure does. This whole porch is going to get rebuilt. You can see up there, that's where like a lot of the raccoons and stuff were getting in. They've been at it about a month now, putting in all new electrical, all new plumbing, new windows and walls and ceilings. Almost everything is getting repaired or replaced, from the backyard lawn to the front porch steps. Wow. It's what you're supposed to do. It's what you're supposed to do. Seems the whole town of Woburn has bought into that mantra. Come on. <laughs> Even those who can't build are now showing up with shovels and rakes, sending gift baskets, and plying the workers with food. Look at these people. I mean, I, I can't even comprehend the gratitude that I have. John is equally speechless. Yep. It's just, there's no words for it, you know. It's not going to end with this house, though, either, is it? I don't want it to, and that's why we put a name to it, the Glorious Gladiators, and we want to keep going with this. John would like to see chapters of Glorious Gladiators across the country, helping seniors in similar situations. Seniors like Gloria Scott, who had a broken light, but now shines brightly thanks to an electrician, hardwired for kindness. 
Going Country has worked out very well for singer Keith Urban. After some downtime due to the pandemic, he'll be very much in the spotlight this week as we hear now from Tracy Smith. You might say that Keith Urban has come a country mile this year. We were just a couple years short of the edge by my name on a fake ID. He has a brand new album ready to drop, and he'll be on top of the country world. You ready for this? As host of the Academy of Country Music Awards. But like so many of us, he was stranded at home this spring with the quarantine. And he had a tough time getting used to life as a traveling musician with no place to go. Besides music, what have you been doing during quarantine? Just kicking back. (laughs) I confess that I was, I didn't transition smoothly into this new way of doing things. How did you react in the initial days and weeks? I just want to put my sweatpants on, sit on the couch, watch TV with the family and wait till the whole thing blows over. And he says it took a good kick in the pants to get him off that couch. I just didn't do anything. <laughs> I just did nothing. For, for It seemed like eternity for me. What pulled you out of it? You know, the turning point came, I have a, a friend of mine who I call sometimes for advice. When I was telling him what was going on, I can't do this and I can't do that and blah, 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 blah. And he said, Keith, is there anything that you can do? And within that call, I started to pivot. I know it sounds so cheesy, but really that's what it was. I pivoted over towards what I could do. You got going again. I love that advice. I'm going to use that on my kids. (laughs) It's easier said than done, let me tell you. But once the 52-year-old superstar got back in the game, things started to happen, like this benefit concert at a Nashville drive-in. So let's talk about the drive-in concert. You did the first drive-in concert back in May. It was really one of the first that a musician did. Did you go into that being a little apprehensive? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, (laughs) I'm playing a drive-in. Great, great. Didn't have that on the list of things to do in my life, but here we go, you know. Uh, I was so grateful that we were able to do it at all and particularly grateful that we got to do it for all the the frontline workers. Could that be the future of touring, for now at least, drive-in concerts? I hope not, Tracy. <laughs> Please, no. God bless you guys. God bless the U.S. God bless the healthcare workers. Thank you so much, and God bless the drive-ins. Come on. In some ways, the chaos of 2020 followed Keith Urban into the recording studio, too. His latest album, The Speed of Now, Part 1, was finished under the cloud of the pandemic. And he says you can feel it in the music. There's a chunk of this record, probably a good third of it, that wouldn't have happened without what we went through. A third of it? Probably, yeah. I would say I had 70% of the record finished. So some of these songs came because of the times, from the times, and were, were even created during that period as well. For example, the song Out the Cage is about something a lot of people can relate to just now, an overwhelming need to escape. So 
Sometimes I forget who we were back then. Of course, not every new song is about the new state of the world. Polaroid is a snapshot of good times in days gone by. Is there really a Polaroid? Uh, I, <laughs> when I when I moved to Nashville, I uh, lived in this just run-down house in, in a questionable part of town, and we were all crammed in there, and we used to throw the most insane parties. And somebody foolishly gave us a Polaroid camera, and the fridge would get covered in um, <laughs> snapshots of these encounters. All I can say is I'm glad you can burn Polaroids. <laughs> Okay, so they no longer exist. <laughs> no, I hope not. <laughs> and here's another good thing that came out of being quarantined. Urban's been doing free online concerts for his fans. You've also been playing some Instagram concerts uh, with the best backup dancer I've seen in a while. <laughs> <laughs> not bad is that just kind of a spontaneous thing that's been happening <laughs> that's, yeah yeah because you know we want to play and uh i needed a guitar tech so uh you know put my wife to work <laughs> what do you need, need i got one. it i got it thank you yeah gig. It doesn't hurt that his guitar tech is one of the most famous women in the world. On this album, there are a couple of songs with lyrics about how a woman can save a man. Right. And I'm wondering if that really rings true for you. Oh, it, yeah, infinitely true for me. Nicole Kidman and Keith Urban have been together since 2005, through the good, the bad, and the downright awful. A few years ago, we spoke with Nicole, and she was telling us that you, in a sense, at a time in her life, saved her. That when she lost her dad, you were about to go on stage, and you dropped everything and flew back to her. And she said, like, literally picked her up off the floor. I didn't even know how to get up from this. How did you get up? Because I had a husband that came right back. I called him screaming and crying and he was about to go on stage and he walked off stage and he got on a plane he just gotten there he flew six hours and he was right back for her to be in nashville and me to be in california was was excruciating um and having just landed and so i'm like i i've got to get back immediately now you know that waiting around to be able to get a plane to get me back as fast as possible was just indescribable so um, family first in everything. Then God whispered your name, and that's when everything changed. As the title of his new album suggests, Keith Urban is used to living life at full speed. What suddenly I want to live. But he's found out that some of the biggest rewards can only come out of slowing down. So, are you hopeful? I'm always hopeful. We will learn so much from this moment, so much. And when this comes again, and there's no doubt it will at some point, we'll be way better prepared for it. And I think just have a new way of, of doing things. We're, we're always going to play somehow, some way. We're going we're gonna to figure out a way to do it. Our summer of COVID has left Jim Gaffigan lost in time.
The summer of 2020 is now in the history books. But I must admit, June, July, and August felt like a recreation of a different time in history for me. Stop! No, I, I know how to do that! For my family, the summer of 2020 felt like an extended cosplay of the 50s. To be clear, I mean the 1950s. I know we were so divided as a nation this summer, it felt like the 1850s, but I'm talking about the boring old 1950s. Like most of you, my family and I spent way too much time on screens this summer. But otherwise, we lived like we were a boring, generic 1950s family. I realized this when I was taking my sons on their weekly fun trip to the car wash. Yes, going to the car wash was like Disney World for my young sons. Because for all intents and purposes, Disney World or amusement parks didn't exist in the summer of 2020. It wasn't just the kids that were living in the 50s this summer. For most of us, the most exciting, dare I say, dangerous form of entertainment this summer was attending a thing called a drive-in. Yes, that movie, American Graffiti, was not a nostalgic nod. It was a foreshadowing of what the summer of 2020 would be like. Face it, this summer it was the 50s. The most fun many of us had involved baking, gardening, or walking. I'm kind of surprised Netflix didn't announce a reboot of the Lawrence Welk Show. It's the Lawrence Welk God Show. Thank you, my good friend. Like Ward Cleaver, the highlight of my day. Ward, our soup is getting cold. Would be having dinner with my family. Pre-pandemic, I used to struggle and juggle my schedule to ensure that I could have dinner with my family every night at 6 p.m. This summer, every day, I spent most of my time preparing and cooking dinner for my family. Why? Because it was the 50s. Wait, if I was preparing and serving my family, I was a 1950s suburban housewife. I'm like Betty Draper. I can see the resemblance. Don't worry, the 1950s were followed by the 60s, and they were very peaceful. Right? I'm Jane Pauley. Please join us when our trumpet sounds again next Sunday morning. If you like CBS Sunday Morning with Jane Polly, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey.